This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 277, Don't Catch a Falling Knife. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode. Now, it's the end of the year, and so it's a good time to look back on what's happened over the course of the year. And I got to say, the stock market is down big time on the year as we wrap up 2022. As of this recording, the S&P 500 is down 23% year to date, and the NASDAQ is down a whopping 33%. So if your money was in mostly high-flying tech stock, one out of every three dollars in your portfolio has gone to money heaven this year. And I'm sorry to say that, but it's true. So alas, poor dollars, we barely knew thee. And we've been seeing this stock rotation all year, moving from high-flying growth tech stocks to other more conservative asset classes, moving from stocks that don't have any earnings at all, think of WeWork and that sort of thing, to brick-and-mortar companies that truly show real profits. But I think even more significant is that they're moving out of hype stocks and momentum stocks. I mean, remember GameStop? Remember Netflix? And they're moving mostly, investors are moving mostly into real value, real dividend paying companies, that sort of thing. But one question is, why? Why is this happening? I believe in part it's because interest rates in this economy have moved up so much. And because of that, we're no longer pricing our stocks based on a fantasy based on a hope and prayer that they will someday be profitable. With higher interest rates, you see, now companies have a cost of capital. There's an interest rate with which to discount their future costs, their debt, their earnings. So the future earnings that growth stocks are promising to deliver have a much lower present value in a world where there's a positive interest rate than they might have had in yesterday's world where there was a 0% interest rate, where money was essentially free. But will the market turnover continue? The real answer to this question is nobody knows. But the math seems to say that we're not done with volatility yet. In fact, we may be early in this rotation, and it's going to last for years and years and years. Who's to say that it might not even take a full decade for the market to recover? Do you think that might be impossible? Am I overstating my case here, do you think it might be impossible to have a lost decade? Well, if you were to invest just $1 into the S&P on January 1st, 2000, you'd have roughly 90 cents in your pocket on December 31st, 2009. That's a decade gone. That's a pretty big deal when you consider all the financial experts and all the articles written during that decade, all the financial pundits. They were touting the long-term average of the stock market being 8 to 10% right? But this is a lost decade. So might it happen again? Stifle's chief equity strategist, Barry Bannister, seems to say we could be in a flat or even a negative market until at least 2031. So even though the market has lost trillions of dollars for investors this year, trillions, literally, we may still have a long way to fall from here. So I dug up a few statistics just to explore what I'm talking about here. Let's go way back to 1995. 
That's right, back to a time of slap bracelets, the Backstreet Boys, Lunchables, and even Forrest Gump. I wanted to look at the entire time span from 1995 till today, when we've had really the modern age of relatively low interest rates. So from 1995 up to today, it was around the mid-1990s that the Fed began to try out this new approach in dramatically lowering interest rates. This is the what's known as the Greenspan era, going back to the mid-90s, so 1995. Here are some very interesting and I think disturbing market statistics. So we're going to review the MSCI US Large and Mid-Cap Market Weighted Index. This is the average price to earnings, and this is actually earnings before interest and taxes. And during that period of time, from 1995 to today, that was 14.1. And the current ratio as of today, this moment, is 19.6. So in order for the market to return to the normal ratio, the market would need to drop another 28% from here, where we are right now. Not from the highs, but from where we are right now. So even worse, if you look at the price to sales ratio, again, going back to 1995, the average price to sales for the stock market uh, was 1.8 times sales. Now, the current price to sales ratio is 3.2 times price per sales. So to return to normal, going back to 1995, the market would need to fall another 44%. Can you imagine markets continuing their fall that far? And that's just to revert to the averages. Dropping that far would mean 401ks would become 201ks. And those who are taking retirement income already would have to split their dinner at Shoney's or choose single-ply toilet paper over double-ply toilet paper. I mean, really, the only way you can justify a market this expensive is if interest rates fall all the way back down to where they were in the good old times of last year. Because low interest rates were the only reason we had such high multiples on stocks. Whether price to earnings or price to sales, it was all a function of 0% interest rates. So if interest rates stay where they are, or worse, continue to move even higher, which is most likely the scenario and the path that I think the Fed is going to be staying on thus far, given where inflation numbers are at, we have a long way to fall in the market to get back to normal quote-unquote, the average. But there's no reason why the market should be priced at a normal valuation given the all the bad news, the adverse circumstances that are all taking place all around us. Really, we've got wars. We've got the highest inflation in 40 years, maybe the highest inflation ever. And the Fed has a monumental task in front of it. If it's actually going to deliver on its promise to bring inflation back down to 2%. So if you believe the Fed is absolutely resolute in their commitment to bringing inflation back down to 2%, and they're going to do, say, whatever it takes to achieve that goal, then you have to concede, you have to admit that the market is not going to fall to a normal valuation, but actually it will fall below that normal valuation. In other words, we should have a price-to-earnings ratio below the norm. We should have a price-to-sales ratio below the average. because. Obviously, these averages mean that at times since 1995, the P&E ratio was lower than the average or the price to sales was lower than the average. Why? Because during those periods, the markets were under adverse circumstances. This is what it means to revert to the mean. So come back to me if this is all sort of above your pay grade and you're not really with me. Come back and, and listen to it this way. Think of it this way. For the last 30 years, we've had a market that was super cheap 
relative to its historic averages. We have a market getting cheap again relative to its extraordinary averages. But not only is today's market not cheap, not only is it not average or fairly valued, but according to these statistics I'm reading from 1995, stocks are still extremely expensive. Even those in the market indices like the S&P or the NASDAQ, who've lost a quarter to a third of their money, it appears that the market drubbing isn't done yet. So according to these averages, we still have a market priced for perfection. And we have anything but perfection going on in today's current climate. So let's stop for a second. Some listening to this podcast might be thinking to themselves, wow, the market is down that much. Now is the time to buy stocks while they're all on sale. Now, if you're like me and you're hearing people talking about the market going down and the market being down, you might hear somebody's sly remarks from maybe your neighbor at the backyard barbecue wanting to sound opportunistic and savvy and say something like, hey, now's the time to buy. This is the time to buy. Netflix is down. Facebook is down. Time to buy the dip, as they say. Maybe they've got a point. Let's look at some of these darling stocks, the tech stocks, the fang stocks, as it's called. Meta, formerly known as Facebook, is currently 75% off of its high. Alphabet, formerly known as Google, also hit a new 52-week low. It's 43% down from its high. Amazon, 52% from its high. Netflix, down 63% from its high. And even the darling Apple is down 23% from its high. The bear market is taking bites even out of the Apple. Even Tesla is down 53% from its high. So is this the time to buy and gobble up all these high-flying tech stocks? Now, of course, as always, I don't give investment advice on this podcast, but be careful when trying to catch a falling knife. A Forbes article in October 2021, I went back a year. So the Forbes article I drew up in my search was from October of 2021, published a little over a year ago. They wrote, quote, down 15% from its high, Facebook stock has a 30% upside. With the benefit of hindsight, how would we have done if we took Forbes investment advice and bought Facebook with that quote unquote 30% upside when it had only dropped by 15% while it was quote on sale, as it were? Let's find out. Since the Forbes article was written, Facebook stock has lost an additional 75% of its values just since the start of the year. So where's that 30% upside now? Of course, Wall Street pundits, the Forbes writers, I'm sure as well, all these Wall Street pundits are pounding the table saying, buy, 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 even as the knife keeps falling. We just don't know when we've had enough, I guess. So to illustrate how dangerous it is to buy an overpriced stock, simply because it's currently down, let's figure out if, quote, buying the dip really works. Let's use the example of another tech stock here. I'm going to leave this one unnamed. On a recent Thursday, this particular stock was down 80% from its high. Now, anybody who's just looking at the stock and looking at the price on that Thursday would say, oh, wow, this tech stock is down 80%. It's on sale. I want to buy it. It's 80% off. I'm getting a good deal. But is 80% off really a good time to buy? 80% off sounds like a really good deal. If this were at the mall, then 80% discounts would be like the bargain bin. But 80% off, this is deceiving. This is the danger of these false benchmarks because this particular tech stock was never worth its record high price in the first place. That was a crazy valuation. So you can't look at the current crazy price and say it's a deal 
because it's not as crazy as the prior crazy price when the current price is still crazy. So because the company is still losing money, it's basically worthless. But let's say when you weren't listening to reason, let's say you decide to go ahead and buy that stock on that Thursday. You go all in on that stock and you're thinking you're getting a great deal. You're getting a great deal because that stock is 80% discounted. So you pour your entire retirement fund in on this one stock, knowing you're going to see it come roaring back. But on the very next day, Friday, it drops another 7%, 7%. Now, that's not terrible for a speculative tech stock, but 7%, was it just 7% loss for you? No. If you bought it on Thursday when it was down 80%, and now it's down 87%, that's not just a 7% loss for you. Realize you've lost 35% of your money in one day because the stock went down from 80% down to 87%. So just because something has fallen a lot doesn't mean it can't fall a lot more. In fact, the company could fall all the way down to zero. That's how low it can go. You can lose 100% of your money buying a stock that's 80% off. And even if the company doesn't go bankrupt, if it manages somehow to survive and restructure, somehow... You can still lose 90% of your money or 95% of your money. Heck, the stock can collapse. It could do a reverse split, and then it could collapse all over again. And unfortunately, there's just a lot of novice investors who are about to learn this lesson the hard way. This is called catching a falling knife. Some people say you should buy the dip. But my question is, what if it keeps on dipping? The market is not obliged to honor its discount if you perceive it has one today. Just remember that the market could take it all away from you tomorrow. But it's not just individual investors who are being lulled into this myth. Even professional investors and money managers from major institutions are getting caught up in this falling knife market. Here's what I mean. The S&P Indices versus Active Index, it's a, called the SPIVA, it's a scorecard which basically tracks the performance of actively managed funds against their respective category benchmarks. They recently showed that 79% of fund managers, okay, these are the active investors, underperformed the S&P 500 last year in 2021. So performance actually gets worse over a longer time frame, with more than 90% of fund managers missing benchmarks over a 15-year period, according to CNBC. Now, remember, these are the guys and gals that you're paying a fee to to manage your money. And this report is saying that Better than three quarters of them didn't even keep up with the S&P index itself over a one-year period, and 90% lost over a 15-year period. So if you think your stock guy or gal is among the rarefied 25 to 10% of fund managers that are beating the market, please realize this. Even if he or she is beating the market this year, the deck gets reshuffled each and every year. And that next year, the deck of financial advisors and robo-advisors They'll all get shuffled again and your favorite stock picker might end up at the bottom of the deck. In other words, just because they won this year doesn't mean that they're going to beat the market next year or the next year. And over a 15-year period, 9 out of 10 professional investors fail to keep up with the index. So why not just get monkeys to throw darts at a board and pick your stocks that way? I mean, really, guys, I'm guessing that bananas cost way less than your current investment management fees. If professional money managers can't beat the market, what's the odds that you or I can? And if you think that you found that knight in shining armor, investment armor, who's among the few elite advisors who are beating the market, 
and maybe they did last year. Watch out, because survivorship bias might take them out this year. It may not be the same elite group. In fact, that study I mentioned showed that if an investment advisor beats the market last year, they're actually more than likely not to maintain their status this year going forward. It's just human nature. We get prideful, we get greedy, we get complacent, and we slip off of the market's banana peels and into the trash bin. So does this mean you should not have a financial guide? No, no, a financial guide is categorically different from a stock picker. You cannot conflate these two different roles in your financial life. If you really need a stock picker, make sure that they're not also trying to give you comprehensive financial advice or giving you guidance through choppy waters of your overall financial life. Now, if you're a fan like I am of Lord of the Rings, go back to Legolas. Legolas was that sharpshooting elf who could pick off an individual bad guy, an orc, in battle. So maybe he's your stock picker, shooting off these one individual bad guys. But you also need a financial guide. You need a CFP, a certified financial planner, like Gandalf, who knows the way to Mordor, who can keep you focused on the overall goal and keep hope alive even when times look dark. So for the true guide, aka the financial advisor on your team, I personally believe that there are at least two skills that they need to have to help you in your journey. The first skill is to predict the future. They need to be able to accurately predict the unexpected, the externalities, and help you position yourself to take advantage of them, or at least to be protected from them. So they need to be able, these financial advisors need to be able to know that there's about to be a war in Ukraine or a shortage of oil and, or a real estate bubble bursting and be able to position you in the right place for protection, but also to take advantage. Now, of course, nobody, nobody can predict the future, not even the real Gandalf. So unfortunately, since nobody has the skill of fortune telling, we have to rely on the second skill, this most important skill for your financial advisor, which is the ability to look backwards into history with wisdom and to use something known as the Lindy effect. So what is the Lindy effect? Well, okay, I've talked about it elsewhere on podcast 212, if you want to go back and listen to that. But in brief, the Lindy effect is a phenomenon by which the future life expectancy of a certain thing, like a technology or an idea, it's going to be proportional to how old it is today, its current age. In other words, the Lindy effect says that the longer something has survived, the longer its remaining life expectancy. So longevity actually implies a resistance to competition or death or obsolescence, or and its continued existence will prolong into the future. So where this Lindy effect applies, the mortality rate actually decreases the longer it gets, the older it gets. So this is why we can confidently say that the chair will outlast the smartphone. One has lasted for thousands of years. It's why we can say the Bible will remain a bestseller for thousands more years, but this week's latest self-help book will probably be a flash in the pan and be gone from our collective memory before we know it. So what does all this have to do with your money? We need a financial advisor in our lives who can help us think into the distant past and see the survivors, find the Lindy effect on what has helped families with their money for generations, really, in the past, survive and even thrive. So what financial strategies have made it through thick and thin, through depressions, recessions, externalities like wars and pandemics? What's gone through the ringer of high inflation? 
What about stagflation? What about currency devaluations? The longer something has existed, the more likely it is that it will continue to exist. That's the Lindy effect right there. So humbly, as a financial planner, to hundreds of clients all across the country, I can confidently say that whole life insurance and annuities have the Lindy effect going for them big time. They've been around for hundreds of years, and I fully expect these insurance contracts of wealth, like whole life insurance and annuities, I fully expect that they will outlast the latest stock craze or crypto scheme. Whole life insurance and annuities have outlasted the dollar, and I believe they'll continue to be around even after the U.S. dollar has become a distant memory. That's right. That's right. Building wealth on contracts has been the central piece of wealth generation for virtually all of human history. I mean, what else is real estate other than a contract? Realize, if you don't have a contract on the property, the rental property that you claim to own, all you have is squatter's rights to your house or to your rental property. Now, the trouble with real estate is that the contract is related just to a finite piece of property, and it can go away just as well as it could be there. Real estate is an amazing asset, and it leverages the power of the contract. And we need contracts that are more holistic, more than just a single property. We need some eggs on different trucks, to use another analogy. Not all of our eggs should be on one truck. Whole life insurance and annuities bring the concept of the contract of wealth to the rest of your financial life, not just trapping the wealth inside a single address or a rental property. For example, annuities provide a contract of income that lasts as long as you live. Whole life insurance, make sure that your family is taken care of if you pass away too soon, and also provides a parking space for cash, for capital, for all of life's major expenses and investment opportunities. Both rely, both annuities and whole life insurance rely on a time-tested and proven wealth creation strategy, which is the financial contract. It's the contract that's been around for thousands of years. While the market has been dropping and swinging wildly this year, our clients that have whole life insurance in their portfolio have seen all-time record highs in their cash values this year. How many people would have given their right arm this year just to avoid losing the money that they lost this year in the stock market? Wouldn't it be nice if you had a contract with your money, which promised and even guaranteed that you would not lose money due to a market correction? How would that change your life? Would you possibly give up some of the upside of the market in order to make sure that you never had any downside risk ever again? I personally would. So let me give you an example showing you how this works with a fixed index annuity. And I want to thank Amanda Neely from Wealth Wisdom Financial Podcast for pointing this out to me. So getting an average return doesn't matter. We've talked about this in many other podcasts. But let me share this again quickly with you. Let's say in year one, you have $10,000 to invest and you go ahead and you invest that money. And let's say that that year gives you a magical return of 100%. So your $10,000 just doubled to $20,000. In year two, you have $20,000 to start, but the market takes away 50% of your money, leaving you with $10,000. In year two, we've now returned to the place that we started back to our original 10,000 bucks. Let's move this forward another two years. So in year three, we start again with 10,000. We double our money again to 100% or 20,000 bucks. But then in year four, we take our 20 grand and whoops, we lost 50% of it again. And now we're back down to our original 10,000 bucks. Now, 
there has been a 25% average return. If you do the math there, the average return was 25%. Now, doesn't that feel good? Didn't, don't you feel wealthier now that you've got a 25% return over a four-year period? But wait a minute, your real return was 0%. You started with 10,000 bucks. And in year four, you've still got the ordinary original 10,000 bucks. Let's imagine that this same return was in a fixed index annuity. And let's say that it only gave us 50% participation and also gave us downside protection. Now, what does 50% participation mean? Well, most fixed index annuities give us a portion of the upside of the market or the index that it's watching. And in exchange, it gives us a floor or a protection against the downsides of the market, the down years. So let's say we put $10,000 into an account that gave us 50% of the upside and none of the downside. So in year one, we have $10,000 invested or put away or deposited into premium into this fixed index annuity. And let's say that we only get 50% gains. Remember, the market itself went up 100%, but we're only getting 50% participation. So we got a 50% return. So our $10,000 went up to 15,000 bucks. In year two, when the market was melting down and going down by 50%, our money was protected at zero. So we still had our $15,000 at the end of year two. In year three, we pick up our ball and try again, and we've got $15,000 and the market took us up. Uh, it was a 100% year in the market again, if you recall, but our indexed annuity only got, gave us half of that. So we got another 50% year. So our value of our annuity is now up at $22,500. And in year four, when the market crashed again, we were protected at 0%. So we ended our year four with $22,500. Now, at the end of four years in the market, you would have back only what you started with, merely $10,000. But you had a 25% average rate of return. What a waste, right? The fixed index annuity hypothetical scenario here took your $10,000 and turned it into $22,500. That's a 22% rate of return over four years. Now, of course, neither of these return scenarios are likely in the real world. First of all, how often does the market go up by 100% in a single year? So this is just an example to prove a point. But that said, I will tell you, however, that the market has shown a propensity to drop 50% as it's done so three times just since the year 2000. So wouldn't it be nice if you had a contract with your money which promised and even guaranteed that you would not lose money due to a market loss. Even if I gave up half of the upside just to avoid the downside sure makes sense to me. And it makes sure that we'd never have to climb out of a hole with our money ever again. It's the difference between average returns and real returns. The market gives us a change in value since average returns are fake. We've got an average return of 25%, but a real return of 0% in our previous example. But a fixed index annuity is real. It's contractual. It locks in last year's performance as it tracks that index. And it annually resets again this year and the next year and the next year. So let's wrap up with some takeaways. Number one, what will the future hold? Nobody knows is the answer. Not even Gandalf. Not your financial guy or gal. Not me. Not anybody. What you want is not someone who can predict the future, but someone who can clearly see the past and who can understand what's made it through such times as we're living in and living through right now. Second takeaway, don't fall for the trap of catching a falling knife. Don't buy the myth that we need to buy the dip, as it were, because it can keep dipping. 
While it is always exciting to pick up investments while they're on sale, nobody knows the future. So move forward with humility and only invest money you can afford to lose. Third takeaway, look for things that have downside protection. Even if it means avoiding some of the upside potential, I believe that avoiding losses is more important than getting the highest parts of the market's gains. In other words, the down years in the market hurt us more than the good years help. So if you'd like some help navigating the contours of your financial life and digging into your financial goals and objectives, we're here to help. Imagine what it would feel like to never have another market downturn ever again. Maybe this year, maybe this is the year that you finally say enough is enough and you're ready to build contractual wealth, not one tied to the swings of the stock market. If that's you, reach out to us. You can go to notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com and request a meeting. We'd be honored to sit down and chat with you for a 15-minute phone strategy session, and we can see if we'd be a good fit for you. So that's notyouraveragefinancialpodcast.com and click on request a meeting. And please share this episode with someone who needs to hear it. If you've chatted with that person in your backyard barbecue party or that Christmas party this year, and they're talking about buying the dip, maybe they should listen to this episode before they buy some more of that you know, high-flying tech stock. So thank you. That is it for this week's episode. And another year is almost in the books. And I just want to say thank you, everyone, for being part of this wonderful revolution with me. It's been a great honor. I can't wait for what's coming in the following year. So happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and I hope all of you have a wonderful, great start to the new year. Thank you for joining me this week and every week for Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join the financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.